We're going to be reading Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. As Christians, we believe that God speaks to us from his word, and therefore it's not me that we are here to listen to. It is Jesus speaking directly from his word, and the passage this morning has some very powerful statements from the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to pause for a minute. We're going to pray and ask that God will speak to us. So let me do that for us now. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... Jesus has inspired these words that Lucy has read and that we will now consider uh, together. Father, we pray that we would listen, whoever we are, and find, whoever we are, that the Lord Jesus is speaking clearly to us from his word. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, Mark's gospel that Lucy read from is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. Mark's source in writing his account is the apostle Peter. Peter was one of the closest companions of Jesus, one of his disciples when Jesus lived on the earth. So what Lucy read in Mark's gospel Peter was there, he saw it, he heard it. He saw what happened and he told Mark what happened and Mark wrote it down in his gospel. So the particular episode we are thinking about this morning, this conversation between one of the scribes, and I'll explain what a scribe is, and Jesus, Peter and the other disciples were there, they saw and heard what happened and they passed it on to Mark who wrote it down, eyewitness testimony. Now, about one-third of Mark's gospel is focused on a single week in Jesus' life, a week that culminates in his death on the cross, then his resurrection from the dead. And this conversation between the scribe and Jesus takes place in the middle of that week. Two days after this, Jesus would be crucified, and three days after that, raised from the dead. So that's the context, the background for this particular episode, the imminent death and resurrection of Jesus. Finally, by way of introduction, the location of this meeting and conversation. 
It takes place in the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem. The temple, a massive complex in Jerusalem. The temple is the center of Jewish religious life. And it's in that temple, in the courtyard of that temple, that Jesus has the conversation with this man. Now, that's some brief background. Consider first the man who comes to Jesus. The man who comes to Jesus. Now, Mark records this. Let me read it again. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well. Now, who is this man that comes up to Jesus? What is he like? Mark tells us that he is one of the scribes. Now, the scribes were Jewish religious leaders. He is a religious man. He is a man who worships God. Mark records how this scribe, when he came up to Jesus, and I quote again, heard them disputing with one another. And the disputing or the disagreement he overhears is between Jesus and some other Jewish religious leaders. In the immediately preceding episodes, Mark records how these Jewish religious leaders had tried to trap Jesus with difficult questions. They weren't asking questions because they wanted to know the answer. Rather, their questions were intended simply to trip Jesus up, to discredit him, to undermine him. These Jewish religious leaders were antagonistic towards Jesus. They opposed him. He had come as their Messiah to save them, but they would not accept him. They would not submit to his authority as their Messiah King. Instead, and tragically, they wanted to kill him. Very soon would be complicit in his death. Now, it's this disputing that the particular scribe overhears. Now, notice what Mark says about this man, this scribe. He heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well. That's what Mark records. He sees, he recognizes, he hears, that Jesus answered them well. Now, Mark is signaling to us that this man is different. This man sees something in Jesus that is attractive. He is respectful of Jesus. And that is increasingly evident as Mark's account progresses. He refers to Jesus as teacher indicating that he acknowledges and respects Jesus' authority. And the way that Jesus commends him at the end of the episode, to this man Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This man, this religious man, had a genuine respect for Jesus. 
He recognizes Jesus' authority. He is interested in Jesus' teaching. He is perhaps like many people who go to church. Sincere, genuinely sincere in their respect for Jesus. Interested in what he says. People who believe in God. Who believe in Jesus. People who seek to follow God, to follow Jesus, to live a Christian life. Now let me pause and put this thought into our minds. This sincere, good, respectful, religious man is, according to Jesus, not far from the kingdom of God. But he is not in the kingdom of God. He is very near, but he is not there. Now, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule of God through his king, the Lord Jesus, in the world and for eternity. The kingdom of God is the realm of existence for people who have been made right or reconciled to God. To be in the kingdom of God is to live in the realm of a restored relationship with God, a realm of safety and security and everlasting life. And this man, this scribe, this religious man is not in the kingdom of God. Now that might surprise us. I think it's meant to. Surely he is in the kingdom of God. No, he is not far, but he is not there. And there are many people in churches like him who believe in Jesus, who believe in God who respect Jesus' authority, who seek to live in light of what he teaches, they are not far from the kingdom of God. They are very near, but they are not there. Not yet. Maybe today they will be there. Now, might that describe you? Is that question being raised and asked in your mind and heart? Near, but not there. Not sure. And if you are not sure, or not quite there, if there is a seed of doubt that has been sown, then let me assure you that the purpose of this episode in Mark's gospel is not to leave you not far from the kingdom of God, but to bring you into the kingdom of God. So you are sure. Perhaps you are someone who is part of a church community and have been for some time, but you know quite clearly, we're not talking about a seed of doubt here, you know quite clearly that you are not part of the kingdom of God. You know that you're not yet a true believer, a Christian. People become part of a church community for a variety of reasons, often through bereavement. And we love it that you're here, and we love you. Far more important, Jesus loves you. 
wants you to be in his kingdom. And as you reflect on the months or the years you've been part of a church community, what has changed? Are you becoming more interested, more engaged, more conscious of Jesus, who he is and what he says? Might it be said of you that you are now not far from the kingdom of God, not as far as you were, not nearly as far as you were? Might that be you? Or perhaps you've been reading the Bible with a Christian and finding that over the weeks of months, you've been drawing closer to Jesus. You agreed initially to do it out of respect for your friend. You didn't know how to say no. But now you look forward to these conversations. Indifference has become interest. You are no longer asking questions to prove a point. You are asking questions because you want to know the answer. Might it be said of you that you are now not far from the kingdom of God? Or maybe you've started watching church services online over the past few months. Lockdown has helped you do that. It's far less threatening to come to a church online than in person. And you have found yourself increasingly interested. You found yourself gravitating at half ten or half six or what any other time to watch that as part of your rhythm, part of your week now. You're engaged. Perhaps what you're hearing about Jesus is different from what you've heard before or thought about him. Might it be said of you that you are not far from the kingdom of God? Or someone might be listening for the very first time today, invited by a friend perhaps. Well, Jesus is going to explain what a real Christian is. And do not doubt that at the end that you might find that you are far closer to the kingdom of God than you were at the start. Now, the question the man asks Jesus, let's consider the question he asks. It's a very simple question from a very learned man, a man who could have asked any manner or number of questions about the finer points of the Bible. And he goes right to the heart of it. He says to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Let me paraphrase that question. Jesus, what is the heart of real faith? What does it mean to be a true believer? Now, we have all sorts of questions we want to ask. But this kind of question gets to the heart of the matter. This kind of question comes from someone who is genuine, sincere, interested. Someone who is not far from the kingdom of God. What does it mean, Jesus, to be a Christian? What is the heart of it? Jesus answered, The most important commandment is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What does it mean to be a true believer? It means one, acknowledging that the God of the Bible is, 
is the one true and living God. The Lord our God is one. Second, it means loving God. Third, it means loving others. That's the answer to the question, what is the heart, Jesus, of Christian faith? What does it mean to be a true believer? Someone who acknowledges that the God of the Bible is the one true and living God and loves God and loves others. That's it. That's the heart of it. Now, that might sound a little too general or vague. It is not. For to acknowledge the God of the Bible as the one true and living God is exclusive. An exclusivity that is manifest, for example, in that salvation or reconciliation to Jesus and God is only found through Jesus, the Son of God, who said elsewhere in the Gospels, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A true believer is someone who accepts the exclusive claims of God. And the love of God that is asked of us is exclusive love. No one is to take the place of God as the highest object of our devotion, powerfully conveyed in Jesus' words, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The Greek word that is translated love is not the love of attraction, it is the love of intelligence. It is the love of the will, of choice, of purpose. It is the love of sacrifice and obedience. It is the purest and noblest and highest and most comprehensive, exhaustive and complete love that is to be given to the one true and living God. That is why we are to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. To love God with your heart means to love him with the core of your identity, the source of all your thoughts and words and actions, pledged in allegiance to God. To love God with all your soul is the sum of your emotions poured out in adoration to God. To love God with all your mind is to align your will and your intentions and your goals, your purpose in life with God's. And to love God with all your strength is to love him with physical energy, zeal, and passion. All that I am as a person, my intellect, my emotions, my will, my energy given to my God in love, it's all of me heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it's all of all of me, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength, all-consuming devotion to God. It is exclusive love God asks of us. It is radical love. 
but not only love for God, love for our neighbor, love for others, for our fellow humanity. And that is neither vague, nor is it easy. It is self-sacrificing, servant-hearted love for others. So this man asks Jesus, tell me, Jesus, what's the heart of it all? Jesus, I could ask you a thousand questions about this or that finer point of what it means to be a believer. But Jesus, will you tell me what is the very heart of it? Jesus says, a true believer is someone who loves God with that all-consuming devoted love and others. A true believer is one who is selfless, devoted to God and others. And that means being a Christian is about a transformed relationship with God and with others. It means a restored relationship with God, a relationship of deep, devoted, and abiding love, and a restored relationship with our fellow humanity, a relationship of sacrificial servant love. Now, I wonder, and I want to ask you this question, Is what Jesus describes powerful? Yes. Is what he describes persuasive? If, like this man, you are genuine and sincere in your desire to listen to Jesus, what he says, what he describes, this will be attractive to you. You will want to live like this. There is something in all of humanity, a seed that wants to live like this. The bar is high. But as you look at that bar, you do not want to turn away. You want to aspire to it. It is a wonderfully attractive way to live. It looks attractive, and the reality is even better. It is not an easy way to live, but it is a way of joy and purpose and worth, and goodness, and pleasure. Someone who expressed this powerfully was Eric Little, the Flying Scot, a man of extraordinary physical ability as a runner. He lived his life in loving devotion to God, and standing on Arthur's seats looking over Edinburgh, he spoke these famous words to his sister, captured in the film Chariots of Fire. God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now that gets us to the heart of what Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love, live, Run like that, and you will feel God's pleasure. Tears and suffering, yes, but pleasure like nothing else. 
can offer. Now consider, as we move through to the end of this narrative, the man's reflection on what he has just heard from Jesus. The scribe said to him, you're right, Jesus. You have truly said that he is one God and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much, much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now remember where they are. They are in the temple at the center of Jewish religion. And the Jewish religion in Jesus' day had moved a long way from God's true intent. It had become religion without God. It had become rituals without relationship, rules without love. And when, like this man, you put that kind of stuff up against all consuming, zealous love for God and others, then it is a very pale and poor comparison. When you hear or see or understand what being a Christian, a true Christian, really is, what is false is quickly exposed. One of the consequences of lockdown has been to take away all manner of stuff, habits, practices, rituals, religion. All we are left with is Jesus and his message and a relationship with God and with others. Finally, the verdict Jesus gives. Now, I've already referred to this, verse 34 in the passage, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Many people stay there, not far, but not in. Why? Because perhaps they are not persuaded why they need to or why they would want to give their lives to God in such an all-consuming, devoted way. Why not a bit of your life? Why not Sunday and have the other days for yourself? Why love him with such an extravagant love? Well, the answer to that is because of how he has loved us. Let me read from another of the Gospels, John's Gospel. Jesus' words again, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God so loved us that he gave his Son Jesus to die that we might be saved. Jesus' death addresses our deepest need as humanity, the forgiveness of our sins. 
The forgiveness we are offered through Jesus restores our broken relationship with God. No longer condemned, but in a loving relationship with him. And the forgiveness Jesus offers also restores our broken relationship with our fellow humanity. That is how much we have been loved by God. For God so loved us that he gave his son to die for us. Just two days after Jesus' conversation with this scribe, recorded for us in Mark's gospel, Jesus went to the cross. And it took all of Jesus' heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, and all of his strength in love for us. Such extraordinary love, divine love, way beyond what we could ever give, is the reason we respond in loving devotion to God. Not far from the kingdom of God is not in the kingdom of God. Not far from safety is not a safe place to be. But you're close to safety. When the lifeline is thrown out to you and you can reach out and take it, what stops us? There is the lifeline within our reach. All it takes of us is to give in to Jesus. Life might be calm, so we don't think we need the lifeline. But even in the calm water, there are dangerous currents. We can feel the rip currents tugging us away. Can you feel them now, perhaps? Life is not so calm. And the storms will come. And with the waters engulfing you, will you reach out and take the lifeline? How do you do that? How do you go from being not far from the kingdom of God to being in the kingdom of God? How do you come into the realm of existence for people who have been reconciled to God? How do you come into the realm of a restored relationship with God? A realm of safety, security, and everlasting life. Jesus said, recorded earlier in Mark's gospel, the time is now. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means recognize your need of forgiveness and turn to Jesus for that forgiveness. True repentance is a change of mind and heart and soul and strength that is followed by a change of action and how we live. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus can forgive our sins. And he wants to. He wants you in his kingdom. Mark's account ends with these words. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Might it be for you 
that you have reached that time to stop asking questions and to repent and to believe in Jesus. Well, let's be quiet for a moment, and then I'll lead us in a short prayer. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, to be not far from the kingdom of God in one sense is to be a thousand miles away. But to be not far from the kingdom of God in another sense is to be very, very close. And if that is us, Lord Jesus, we pray that perhaps with your help we would stop asking questions and respond to your words the time is now the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel I commend all of us who are listening into your hands and do so in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen.